when you have a clinic that reflects your community and you have a space that centers all patients and staff who feel seen and heard and whose values are reflected in the way that care is delivered, you'll know that you did the right thing. And sometimes the day-to-day work in healthcare, I think we've gotten increasingly focused on the bottom line. And I think all of us who came into this work came into it because we believe in justice and we believe in healing and we believe in community. And so sometimes the work that you do can just be that. And this is a beautiful way of doing that just doing the right thing. Welcome to the Health Pilots podcast presented by the Center for Care Innovations. This podcast is about strengthening the health and well-being of historically underinvested communities. Every episode offers new ideas and practical advice that you can apply today. What happens when healthcare shifts its focus from what's wrong with you, to what happened to you, and how does it impact pediatric care delivery? To answer this and to share with us deeper insights into the work, Health Pilots is featuring care teams from the Resilient Beginnings Network, a Center for Care Innovations program dedicated to advancing pediatric care delivery models that are trauma and resilience-informed so that 100,000 young children and their caregivers have the support they need to be well and thrive. Facilitating this conversation with the team we have today is Dr. Dana Long, Primary Care Pediatrician and Clinical Director for the Resilient Beginnings Network, or RBN for short. Hear the team's journey through this program, the valuable lessons they've learned individually and as a care team, and the unique transformative impact of the Resilient Beginnings model on patient care. Find out what it means to provide care in which all parties recognize and respond to the impact of traumatic stress and resiliency factors on children, caregivers, and service providers. With that said, I'll pass it on to Dr. Dana Long for our episode today. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Dana Long with the Center for Care Innovations. Today, we're talking about the fantastic work that Pataluma Health Center's West Marin Clinic is doing to make their pediatric care more trauma and resiliency informed. Our hope is that by having Pataluma share their story, safety nets can apply the lessons learned to their own context. I'm here today with some super guests. I'm here with Rachel, Judith, Christina, and Fran, who are members of our Resilient Beginnings Network, which is our 15 Bay Area community health centers that are working together to make the care that we all provide and the systems that we work with more trauma-informed. We partner with our member networks to develop these models of pediatric care delivery that are trauma and resilience informed so that our young patients and their families have the resources they need to be well and thrive. We're excited to share this story with you today. Rachel, can you introduce yourself, please? Yes, so happy to be here, Dana. My name is Rachel Joseph. I'm a family nurse practitioner and the Director of Quality Improvement for the Petaluma Health Center and a member of the RBN team out in our West Marin practice sites. Hi, I'm Christina Gomez. I'm a family medicine physician and the medical director of the Point Reyes and Bolinas Health Centers, which are our rural coastal sites um, through Petaluma Health Center. Also excited to be here. Thanks for having us. 
Hi, yes, uh, my name is Judith. I'm the patient navigator for um, Point Reyes and Bolina's Health Center. Um, and I've been here for about a year and a half in this role. And how about you, Fran? Hi, I'm the site administrator for the Bolina's and Point Reyes Clinic, and I'm a nurse by trade. Thank you so much. Every time I drive up the coast and I drive past Bolinas and Point Reyes, it's so beautiful up there. I'm always taken by the very dramatic scenery for sure. So before you started with the Resilient Beginnings Network, what did trauma and resilience-informed care mean to you? And how has that shifted during your time with Resilient Beginnings Network? I think just in Al. I'll get us kicked off and say, I think um, trauma and resilience informed care had a meaning for me based in some of the work that we had been doing at our parent site at the um, larger Petaluma Health Center Clinic, where we had seen the start of ACEs screening and um, healing conversations with patients and, and families of young children about their experiences of trauma and their inherent resilience. But that context and that particular approach was something we'd never tried out in West Marin. And also, I think it was something that I think we expanded on greatly over the course of our work. I have to say that it was really blurry for me, this whole conversation about trauma and resilience. And I think that's one of the things that I'm taking out of it. It is basically resilience. I actually kind of have left not left out, but sort of like focus more um, into the resilience part of it. And I just uh, embrace that uh, moving forward. I think for me, I'm not going to lie, I didn't know much about trauma and resilience-informed care. Um, when I started working with the clinic five years ago, I, you know, I, I learned that I do have to be, you know, empathetic and understanding to people's experiences. It wasn't until I started working here that I found out that trauma really affects the way a person, I guess, develops. I've learned to be more uh, culturally sensitive. I've learned to ask more questions, kind of get to the deeper meaning of maybe why a person feels a certain way. So yeah, I apart from just being empathetic though and sympathizing with someone, I think it also has taught me to be more um, wanting to know more, wanting to know deeper. Judith, I'm wondering if you could dive even deeper into that when you say it makes you wonder more. How are you doing that? What is your approach now? So I, because of my role in the clinic, I try to get to know patients a little bit more personally. So apart from a medical role versus a patient role, I definitely try to be somewhat of a person that they can confide in, that the patient can confide in. Um, so, hey, you know, this patient needs to get something off their chest, this person wants to vent. I like to feel like I can be that person for them. I like to ask maybe questions that are a little bit personal, but they know that I'm not gonna share that information with anybody. And I think getting to know patients on that level, getting to know what they've been through, getting to know their experiences kind of helps connect dots you know, to certain things that they may be experiencing or feeling or going through medically or mentally, physically. Uh, so that's my approach as a patient navigator. Thank you. 
Fran, you had in your introduction, you said that you were one of the administrative leaders. And so my next question is for you about why was it a priority for your organization to embrace this approach? I have been lucky enough to um, hear from this team and actually what they've been um, doing and the progress. And I've seen uh, seen it happening as it has developed. Um, I'm committed and I, I'm just looking forward to um, put more opportunities to, for us to um, engage with the community and transmit this uh, information and uh, hear them more to continue this work for sure. Thank you. And for the providers, so for Rachel and, and Christina, what were you looking to accomplish through RBN? Well, I, I feel like Rachel's the better person to answer that because she really led and guided this. Um, but I think what I can say is one of the thing that one of the things that has been enlightening is thinking about just sort of this more as a philosophy rather than just like the logistics of how we're doing it and really having a trauma informed approach to patient care in general. And I feel like even not having myself directly been a part of all of the meetings for RBN, but also being involved in the work and the trainings that we've had and the discussions we've had, I think with staff and providers, just how that shifted, at least personally for me, the way that I approach patients, the way I kind of sort of getting to what Judith was saying, the way I feel like I can try to understand a little bit better people's experience of trauma and take that in in a different way that I, I, I didn't necessarily before because I don't think I understood exactly how it impacted people and also how we could help mitigate that and, and help people respond to it and, and what so, like services and support we could provide. So I think it's really, for me, opened up the way we can approach not just our patients, but our community and sort of looking within our community at what trauma experiences people are having, and which is which we've seen, you know, on some of our ranches with some of the farm workers and our Latino community who are experiencing a lot of housing instability and housing injustices. So I think it's all that to say, I think it's really spanned from like how we approach our patients on an individual level within the clinic and also how we're really approaching the community. That's very broad. I feel like Rachel can dive into the details, but that's how I've really taken this work in. And how have you seen the work that you do actually impact patients' experiences? Yeah, I mean, to echo what Christina is saying, I think, and what Judith has said, I think I've certainly, like my understanding of how to have conversations with patients about their lived experiences of trauma and my, I think, also philosophy about seeing that in the context of the larger community has evolved tremendously over the course of this work. Um, I think we came into RBN knowing that our organization had a lot of room to grow, both in the way that we like took time and paused and engaged with patients in healing ways and also in the way that we, as we grew as a team, kind of found more space to think about our patients' broader experiences in the community. I think now to what Judith and Christina have said, I see my like I think I see my work with patients as a 
as a provider in RBN as kind of a, a small point of entry where if I can pause and take time and create a little bit of space to ask questions and identify points of resilience um, that I'm seeing all the time in our patients and their broader communities and then get them connected to folks like Judith who are out on the street and in the field, shoulder to shoulder with folks as they're navigating some really complex struggles. We can double down on our efforts and expand well beyond the clinic. So, And so you're t- you've been referring to this moment of pause, right? Doing screening, responding, and then there's a moment of pause. Can you describe what that's taken for you? What it feels like in terms of the difference about before you did that and then after? Yeah, I think in the frantic pace of primary care that I think probably all listeners and all of us who are here gathered recognize very well. I think it can be very easy to lose sight of the like root of what healing is, which I think what I've come to recognize over the course of RBN is like, it's actually taking time for seeing people authentically. And I think the orientation towards authentic interactions with patients where we're really truly hearing what their lived experiences are has been a reminder to in encounters with children and families sit and take in and actually appreciate what people are already doing to promote the health and wellness of their kids and of their broader community. So I think what I've what I feel in encounters now that I maybe wasn't as keyed into before is just like a deep appreciation and gratitude for the strength that folks have that's already there and been there. And the moment of presence where somebody sees you recognize that in them, not see a deficit, but see their inherent value and experience their own moment of like pride and gratitude. I think that was so well put. You also had commented that then families are connected to Judith, who is shoulder to shoulder with families. Judith, can you describe what you do in the clinical setting and how that referral and linkage goes for you? So I do spend some time in in the office, um, you know, getting back to patients, getting back to providers. When I'm out in, in the field, I go see patients maybe at their homes. I connect with them on the street, in the store. Um, I'm lucky enough to live in this um, small community. I live in Inverness, so just, you know, 15, 20 minute drive from the clinic. Um, So I'm lucky to know a lot of the people that already live here and be a part of this community. Um, So events, whether they're put on by the clinic or not, I I like to go out to the events, um, say hi to people that I've met through the clinic work, I like to, like I said, visit the patients and their families in their homes, maybe. Um, I volunteer on the weekends. I like to call different organizations in Marin County and West Marin and kind of find out what they do. If I find someone who is in need of an organization that I've come in contact with, I make sure to share their information. Um, So it's a lot, it's just a lot of that kind of being a middleman, I guess, uh, trying to connect 
uh, the clinic's work to the actual community and being involved and being a part of the community, not just a healthcare worker. Judith is really uh, incredibly humble about her work and impact, but she she is like a living example of like solidarity work and uh, it really embodies the values of RBN. It's such an honor to watch her shine and families really connect with her very deeply. I think like there's no substitute for her presence. Thank you. <laughs> so much love, Judith. I, I, I love it. And I can't, um, I also can't stress enough how important patient navigators and community health workers are to making sure that we provide wraparound services and support to our to our families. I would like to be able to illustrate very concretely to listeners the way that you have incorporated the key drivers of RBN into the work that you're doing, both in clinic and also with community partners. To remind folks of what those key drivers are for us, it involves change in organizational culture and environment to become a healing organization, adopting tools for clinical transformation, screening and response, and then strengthening networks of care and community relationships. So can you speak to these three drivers and help us understand how you have been incorporating these drivers into the work that's happening in clinic and in community. Maybe I can jump in with the piece about um, organizational culture. I think everyone in this room can speak to that. We recognized, I think as an organization, when we very first started this work, we were coming out of a, a big merger where a large organization, Petaluma Health Center, was joining with the West Marin site. And um, there was a lot of fear in the organization, a lot of sense of, I think, growing trust, but but still like some roots in, in mistrust about what this partnership was going to look like. And RBN came on the scene right at the perfect time where we could actually start to have some conversations within our teams about who we were and what our vision might be in our partnership. And... In that context, there are also some team dynamics that we have started to navigate with RBN and RBN support and will be continuing to navigate moving forward. So with regards to navigating the merger and, and developing some more healing relationships, um, we started conversations as a team about, about trauma and resilience and personalized some of that. So with facilitated support, started the conversation about, you know, what are our own lived experiences of trauma and our own experiences of having conversations with patients? What might our fears or hopes be around that? We also started conversations about like, what does our environment of care look like and how might we make that more reflective of the communities that we're honored to accompany and serve? And then rooted in those conversations have started to make some concrete changes in our environment and in our work as as teams. So putting up artwork throughout the clinic that's reflective of the patients and communities that we serve, explicitly um, pro-BIPOC, explicitly resonant with um, migrant communities, explicitly inclusive. We also have started to look at our teams. Our teams, when we first started, were very racially and linguistically segregated. 
And that segregation is replicated out in community where there's a lot of separation between the Latinx or Latina community and white folks. And so we've started conversations as a team about um, structural injustice internally and structural injustice out in community and how we hope to move forward on both fronts. Yes, like I think we're looking into our own inequities within our staff and organization and realizing that we can't begin to address the inequities outside of our organization unless we're really talking about the inequities within, which is a long, hard, uncomfortable, importantly uncomfortable conversation that's ongoing. And we're still working on that. And I think we'll continue to and that it's um, a priority and important, I think, for all of us. And then I just want to add one other thing to what you said, Rachel. I think also asking the question through the merger even of who's our community? Like, who is our community? Who are we reaching out to? Who are we not reaching out to? Who have we not been reaching out to? And I think that's really been important. And having Judith be a part of our team has been incredibly important in connecting with a part of our community that I think we were not often connecting with, which is the Latina, Latinx community, the farm workers, I think a part of the community that's often been, I've heard the word invisible. And so I think that's been a really, really important part of what's come of this and having these conversations. I owe a lot of my connectedness to the community to Christina and Rachel. Um, Just because before this role, I wasn't all that connected. I wasn't all that um, active, I guess, in my own community. I was active, you know, in, in Marin County doing work on the side, volunteer work, but not inside my own Point Reyes and Bolinas and Inverness. Um, so I owe a lot of that to Rachel and Christina. Um, and I've told Christina this when she first came in. I thought, you know, she was like, oh, she's just another white savior. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought, you know, she um, knew what to say, knew the words, um, but wasn't actually going to follow through, but I mean, I was wrong and I'm glad I was wrong. Um, They've both just really pushed me and supported me and made me feel like, you know, I am part of this community and I do have the expertise or the experience to go out and talk to these people and find out, just get to know them on a deeper level, I guess, and be able to connect that with my own work. And so I, I just owe a lot of that to Christina and Rachel because they've really supported and motivated me and, you know, pushed me to really, to my full potential. Judith, I was going to, you are and have always been a leader. So it's great to see you doing that work. I, I yeah, total honor and privilege to work by your side. I was going to pick your brain and Fran's brain because I feel like y'all both, when we were talking, when Dana was asking the question about like our work in community and the community to clinic, like referral and connections and that partnership. I was going to ask about Loteria. Dana, I don't know if it's okay for us to talk about that, but that's like been such a important part of this work and like a place to connect parents and families and community and, and Judith and, and Fran and Christina were all part of launching that. Um, well, I was going to let Christina start off a little bit because she kind of got the ball rolling. Um, she had someone that she worked with at Petaluma um, that did the same thing, that did the Loteria group. But I mean, ultimately, we got it here in West Marin, Pagreyas, Tamales, and Bolinas. And it's just been a great opportunity to connect with patients outside of a medical, you know, role. Um, we kind of 
de-stress and talk to each other like friends and we get to know each other. We listen to music, we have fun, we we dance, we sing. It's, it's a space where people can um, unwind, really. I think it's, there's a correlation between stress and the way, you know, that we might feel sick or, you know, maybe diseases that we develop. And so if you provide not just Loteria, but any group participation that lets someone take a break from their usual routine, that lets someone kind of be themselves for a little bit and play and not think about everything else that's going on, it, I mean, it allows them to really just flourish a little bit. Um, it lets people just really be themselves and have fun and, you know, kind of, it just takes you away from everything going on in your life. So it's just been a great part of the community, I think, to have a group where we can just come together, including myself. I, I don't have to think about anything else but just being there in that moment. I can add to that. And also just want to say, Judith, that we would never be where we are without you. We are just so grateful. I know we could we could have the whole podcast be about how much we love we love and appreciate um, Judith, but it is an honor to work with you. I I can talk a little bit about when that came about. So I came from Petaluma Health Center, and there was um, a Latina physician assistant who started it as a space for Latinx community and and patients to gather, and it was super successful. And so I was able to see that. Um, and convivencia was the word that I heard from everyone, which is, I don't know how you, how would you translate that, Judith? Just being together, being together. Yeah, um, socializing, yeah. So it was beautiful. And then the pandemic came. And so that kind of squashed it. And so when um, I was out at the coast, I brought together Judith and Carmen Hiron, who's a social worker from the county, as well as Maria. I can't remember. She changed her name. She got married. Um, but she, what she heads the promotores. And so gathered those three as local leaders working with the Latina community to try and figure out what would be a good way to connect and suggested Loteria because it had been successful and people seemed excited about it. And so that was sort of where it was born and was a good, was important for me to learn as I moved out to the coast through this merger, who were the local leaders. Um, connected to the Latino community. So that I just want to put that out there because that was really important to, to start from that place. And I think also what's been really wonderful about it is that as with most spaces, we are a very white predominant space. And so, um, and especially in a small community, there's just not a lot of places where um, Latino, Latinx people can gather um, and have a space for themselves. So I think that's been really important for that. And that's been a learning process for even our staff who sometimes may see that as divisive or want to integrate that space. And there is a time and place for integrated spaces, but I know that Judith can speak to, uh, or I imagine you, I know you have spoken to like how important it is for let the people of the Latino Latinx community to be able to gather together and have a protected space where they can play a game that they, you know, relate to, understand, have played, you know, in the countries that they, many of them came from. So that's been really nice and important. And I think has pushed the conversations around equity and our equity focus and how we work through an equity lens in important ways in our conversations that we're continuing to have. I'll add to just that one of the cool things that has been initiated by this 
this group in the context of Lapidia is bringing other community partners into that space with the permission of the Loteria participants um, to connect folks to resources and added support. So many folks who come to our clinic and who we're privileged to partner with have very busy, very hard jobs that require all of their time. And so breaking away and joining Loteria, they don't necessarily have access to childcare. It's a space where we can provide childcare and connect the people who are providing that that brief respite with training in things like early childhood literacy or development promotion, which they're teaching both to parents and caregivers and also modeling in the context of their work with kiddos. So it's a a space where the parents and caregivers can play, as, as Judith and Christina were saying, and have fun and experience joy without anything imposing on it. And where when we know that something's cooking with the family and they might benefit from some added holding, we can provide some of those connections to resources and support that we imagine and have heard from them would be of benefit. Frank, can you speak to, um, do you feel like Loteria, how do you feel it's engaged the Latino community or do you feel like it's empowered the community and in what ways, if so? Oh, I, I oh, completely, yes. I have to say that when Christina brought the idea of Loteria to me, I said, what are you talking about exactly? Like, I said, don't you know what Loteria is, Francis? And I said, well, I know, t- I know what Loteria is, but I don't know. I've never played Loteria before, right? And I remember that at the beginning, it was like, there are cards for Loteria. It's like, what are we talking about, right? I didn't even understand the game itself, right? And um, I'm Latina, but like, we don't play that you know, back home. So and I say, oh, you know, this, this actually is going to be cool because I feel so awkward at times when like here, like they want to play all these games and I don't really understand them and I have to learn them in order to just play them, right? This is like, okay, so this is going to be familiar to everybody because everybody's going to know how to play it. So actually just by the game part of it, it's like, oh, this is going to be cool, right? And at the beginning I had this, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, and we can also actually tell them about hypertension and tell them about diabetes. And Christina is like, no, that's not what we're doing here. Well, we're actually just having a space for people to just come together and do whatever they want, most basically, right? Um, Just share time and share stories and share whatever they want to. We don't want to impose an agenda here, Francis, right? Um, And I said, okay, 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 I get it. I get it. That's totally fine, right? So... Now, actually, I have through Judith and through some other people that I've I live also in the community. They've been like, oh, you know, the community is cool. Like the the lottery is actually going really really cool. I love the I love to have the space. So they feel that we are connecting. That we are actually trying to do make that connection between. Even though we are not imposing an agenda, we're not telling them anything about you know health, like they feel closer and we feel closer. So I think it has opened that door and I'm really grateful for that, for sure. I love hearing about the space that you were able to create. And in the spirit of having hard conversations, I wrote down a quote from you, Christina, that you had to have hard conversations with some of your white colleagues about integrating that space. Say more. Say more about what those conversations included and why racial affinity can be important. Hmm. 
And I think it came up in a meeting with providers and we are all white providers. So absolutely name that. And Judith was there talking about Loteria and about patient navigation. And I think a provider said, I wish that we could have invite white people to Loteria or other people to that space. So I felt very aware in that moment. I didn't want to call out Judith to have to explain why that was important. And so explained that, again, what I had said that, you know, we live in a white space. We are, every space is a white space and that there aren't spaces for our Latinx community to gather and that this is a space for that and it's important to protect that. And then asked Judith if she wanted to explain a little bit more. And I think it was really helpful when you said, Judith, I live here. And even for me to have this space, it's really nice and important because I don't have, there is not another space like that. So that's sort of, you know, the beginning of that conversation, but it's ongoing. I mean, we still, we still have, uh, there's definitely pushback, I think, against that idea I get pushed back from some providers who may not understand or in conversation with providers around the work with our Latino Latinx community needing to be led by people who are from that community and not by myself or any other providers who are white. I'm very clear about that. And um, I would say providers don't always agree with me on that. So as a medical director, then I get to say, this is how this is how we're doing it, which I'm not, <laughs> I don't lead in that way at all. But I think, I think it's sort of me learning as a leader and the director of the clinic, how do we move towards an equity framework and say, this is how we are going to operate because this is how we should be working in, in connection with our BIPOC community and know that some people aren't on board. On, aren't on board yet um, and that we just have to keep having conversations. I think two things like just support the work, but just like make the work happen and support people like Judith and like, you know, people that we have who are working with our BIPOC communities and then, and then have the conversations at the same time, which take longer and will take time. And I think will be ongoing. I think it really helps to have Fran as a leader in the clinic as well to you know, and also a resident in the local community. And I think, um, you know, sitting in these challenging conversations, I think both Francis and Judith have been really courageous in speaking up about what they see and witness both what's happening, you know, in the context of what's happening in staff, Judith, what you've seen in community and experience personally. And I think in the harder conversations with providers, I think white supremacy and white fragility are themes that we will continue to rub against and grind against. And I think being committed to a culture that centers the identity of the entirety of our community and appropriately centers the patients who are most impacted by structural violence is something we're really lucky and proud to do. And I think um, the leadership is pretty relentless in its commitment to that. So kudos to Christina for that. And for stepping aside and centering leaders who who can speak to their lived experience. That's its own kind of courage. 
Thank you, Rach. It's our whole, it's really the team that does it. Can I, can I give an, an example, Dana, that I think was really meaningful? We have a ranch out in the community where we've become aware that about 65 people live who are all Latino, mostly immigrants from Guatemala, Mexico, living in deplorable housing, paying really high rents. Um, they're moving off the property just last week, which is great. It's been this ongoing community effort that we've worked very closely and Judith and I have visited in person several times and we've put extra resources and clinics to the community there who's being impacted. The owners are our patients as well. They're white. Um, and then everyone, almost everyone who lives in the community or on the property is Latino, Latinx. And so there's been a lot of conversations around that and a lot of tensions. And it's been really interesting to navigate that, knowing we serve everybody there, but our energies are going to go towards those who are most impacted and center those who are most impacted. And we were able to bring a tenant to an all-staff meeting because of a lot of white fragility and denial of some of the conditions in which people were living, uh, connected to biases and uh, towards the owners. It's a very complex situation. Um, but we were able to bring a, a tenant to speak to our staff, which was really incredible and hear her lived experience. And Judith was there right next to her interpreting and it was it was a really special and important space to be able to connect with someone from the community, have, hear their experience, and have that impact how our staff could understand what our patients were experiencing. That person also is an incredible community leader and a parent of two young children and has been an essential link, Dina, to bringing other parents of young children from the Latino community into our clinic to both receive care and engage with our team. But also, we've had the opportunity to have conversations about the impact of this environmental disaster on their lives and identify opportunities to build community on solidarity um, in partnership. So it's, I think like this, what Christina is talking about has touched lots and lots of families in our community. And I think is also just a seed and, and hopefully the beginning of a lot more work with a lot more families who's, who will be centered in similar ways. I hear that at Pataluma Health Center, your work is at this intersection of race and class and power and privilege. And you have leaned into it. You are in the midst of it. What advice do you have for those of us that work in health centers who also are seeing these dynamics play out every day with our patients and in the community? Not easy. Not easy, but worth it. And I think that uh, understanding that the work that has to be done is going to have a lot of blocks and not a lot of openings, but um, the openings are so much stronger and the right thing to do to um, understand that this job is going to take a lot of energy and work and that's the right thing to do and move forward. 
I think from a leadership perspective, looking at people like um, Francis, who has been so willing to align resources to support this work, it's telling leaders to invest in this, that it's not going to be something that's going to show up in your ROI, your return on investment in a year or two years. But five years from now, when you have a, a clinic that reflects your community and you have a space that centers all patients and staff who feel seen and heard and whose values are reflected in the way that care is delivered, you'll know that you did the right thing. And sometimes the day-to-day work in healthcare, I think we've gotten increasingly focused on the bottom line. And I think all of us who came into this work came into it because we believe in justice and we believe in healing and we believe in community. And so sometimes the work that you do can just be that. And this is a beautiful way of doing that, just doing the right thing. Um, I think it's important to recognize the hierarchies in your own place of work, first of all. Um, Recognize that and educate yourself on why those hierarchies exist and how to dismantle that, have have the hard conversations with each other, with your colleagues, with your staff. And also just kind of back what, what Rachel said, it's not exactly about solidarity. You get more done as a community. And so just really, really um, working together with your community, getting to know them and I mean, just doing the work every day. <laughs> What's come across so clearly to me is your courage. Like each of you within your roles have had so much courage. Any last words about the courage that it's taken or what inspires you? I just want to add to the question before, which is also part of this question, Dana, just, um, and to echo what Judith is saying, like, I think we have to lead with recognizing our privilege. So recognizing our privilege, if we're white, recognizing our privilege, if we're providers, recognizing the power dynamics that exist, um, as a first step in even changing them. And I think really reflecting on our own biases and being honest with ourselves and talking openly about those, because I think if we're not doing that, it won't change and we can't change it. So I think that's what I've learned. I think to your point of leaning in, and thank you for recognizing that and saying that because I forget that we're doing that because it feels so uncomfortable. And I remind myself that if it feels uncomfortable, that means that growth is happening and to lean more, even though we want to run away from it. So I've definitely learned that. And I think personally, trying not to walk around other people's discomforts or other people's fragility. And I've learned that. And Judith has really helped me with that because as I've received pushback and trying to bring attention to the injustices that we may see in our community and what our role should be in that. Um, You know, I think I've paused sometimes when I get pushed back and I shouldn't do that. And Judith reminds me not to do that and that we should keep moving forward and keep, just keep moving forward. And I think also to Rachel's point, like that these should be collective approaches and collective efforts. And I need to remember it's, there are some of us that are very much on board and others that are not quite on board and we all have our spectrum of evolution and understanding and reflection, but that we should all be moving together and, and moving in a collective way 
towards equity and towards resilience and towards healing. I just add, you know, when Fran said that the work is hard, but that it's worth it, that for other folks who are doing this work, I just would urge you to not give up. And in each moment that you sit with a patient and again, take the time to reflect on their strength and courage or outside of an encounter, take the time to have a hard conversation about your own bias or privilege or actively work to dismantle an oppressive structure in your organization. But like each of those things, which feels can feel so minuscule or easy to lose track of, is significant and it matters and that I would just urge you to keep going. I think when we take stock of what we've accomplished and where we're headed, it feels like we are unstoppable. So, To what Judith said earlier, asking questions, being curious, learning more about our patients and our community and our staff and our colleagues. And I, I learn and keep learning that as I do that, then I see more. And the more I keep doing that, the more it opens up my own eyes to understanding people's lived experiences and where they're coming from. And so I think by continuing to do that, we'll continue to learn more and grow and be able to to do better and provide. Or I think, yeah, I think we can all like continue on this journey of healing together if we are open. I guess RBN. Yeah, I just want to express real deep gratitude to RBN for giving us the space, the Resilient Beginnings Network team for giving us the space and um, permission to be curious together. Sometimes when you're in your own role or in your own world, it can be easy to identify lots of problems and forget to look up at the person across from you and recognize that they are in all likelihood um, holding a part of the solution if not the solution itself. Um, so I think RBN has enabled us to like be courageous and curious and have a framework to to kind of use to guide us that is explicit about its commitments to things like racial justice and equity and um, promoting resilience in kids and families in a way that day-to-day life and work might not have been. So yeah, just really, really grateful that we've had that opportunity and really excited and hopeful about all that's coming ahead. I want to thank all of you for sharing and for inspiring and for encouraging us to have the hard conversations that we need in order to heal and get better. So thank you. I feel like even just having this conversation feels really good and special and I don't know. I'm like experiencing all the emotions I feel like I've experienced through this past year, two, three years. And so thank you for bringing that out and like giving us a chance to talk about it and be together and like appreciate each other because we have such an amazing team. We couldn't do any of this work without each other. And I feel like, yeah, Judith, Fran, Rachel, like you all have really helped push things forward and push the conversation forward and helped us move to a a more resilient healing space. So thank you for that. Thank you for embarking on this episode of Health Pilots, hosted by the Center for Care Innovations with podcast production services by Wayfair Recording Company. Special thanks to Dr. Dana Long, the Resilient Beginnings team at CCI, Trauma Transformed, and the featured pediatric care team that has joined us today. 
check out this episode's show notes for relevant links, resources, and opportunities. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word. We're available on all major platforms, and be sure to subscribe where you listen to podcasts. For more information about the Center for Care Innovations or for upcoming programming, events, and funding opportunities, please visit our website, careinnovations.org, and connect with us on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This is Wes Cabrillo at the Center for Care Innovations, and we appreciate you tuning in. Catch you on the next episode of Health Pilots.